Hey, we're starting a new series today, and uh, we had a brilliant time looking at the will of God, didn't we? And uh, we want to start a new series over the next four weeks that's just called By My Spirit. There it is. Look at that. And we're going to take four weeks just to think about that verse in Zechariah 4, verse 6, where it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Don't you love that statement? (laughs) Sometimes we look at things in our life and we say, I don't know how that's going to happen, or I haven't got what I need to do that. But God says, not by might, not by your ability alone. Not by your intellect, not by anything that you can do, because then you'll give glory to you. But by my spirit, says the Lord. You see, when you read the Bible, God always chose the unlikely people and the unlikely objects to do incredible things. Because God displays a glory that he gets the glory, amen? Not by my, just say that with me today, not by my, not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. So we're going to take a few weeks looking at the the place, the indwelling presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm really excited because I'm going to be teaching this week and I'm going to be teaching next week. Pastor Sean's going to be teaching the following week. And then the final week, hey, you'll never guess what it is. It's Pentecost Sunday. And I'm kind of, not that God goes by our calendar, but I'm kind of in my heart, cheeky prayer to God. We've got Pastor Micah Wood with us from the ramp on that Sunday. <clears throat> and I'm like, <clears throat> just do something, God. 2,000 odd years later, just, I know it's just a Pentecost Sunday and Christmas wasn't December the 25th. I get all that. But God, as we teach on your Holy Spirit these next few weeks, would it build that you would do something unusual? on that Sunday, and indeed the ones leading up. So we're going to be, over the next couple of weeks, looking at being filled with the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit, and then we're going to talk about the coming of the Spirit and what Pentecost means for us today. We're good Pentecostals, aren't we? Amen. We're a part of a a movement of churches called Assembly of God, and uh, it was such a privilege yesterday to see our national leader, Glyn Barrett, in the procession with the country's uh, church leaders. He represented the Pentecostal churches of England. Isn't that exciting? He actually got to meet King Charles um, at the Queen's funeral, and King Charles came up to Glyn, and uh, Glyn said, hi, I'm from AOG, and, and uh, King Charles said, that's Assemblies of God, isn't it? He said, that's correct, your majesty. majesty. He said, Oh, and you answer to a higher power than me, don't you? And uh, Glyn said again, that's correct, your majesty. And uh, it's just brilliant to just see yesterday someone from the Pentecostal church representing the Pentecostal churches, which are the fastest growing churches in the country there at that moment of coronation. But I keep getting distracted today. Let's stay on focus here. So we're going to be looking at week one today, which is filled with the Spirit. We often call ourselves a number of things, believers, Christians, but one of the things that we often, and I often term myself as, is a spirit-filled Christian. When people say, oh, what sort of Christian you are, like there's many varieties, right? There's one family, there's one people that belong to God. But we believe very much in family church that we're a spirit-filled people, 
that the Holy Spirit isn't just with us, but he's also now in us. And that's the ingredient that causes lives to change. See, if you acknowledge the king, you can have the power of the king next to you. If you submit to his lordship, he comes to reside within you. Every addiction in my life wasn't broken by mental assent or a gospel of behavior modification. It was when God sent his spirit to live in my broken life. Then I had the power to do the things I couldn't do before. Now, we're often called, or we refer to ourselves as spirit-filled Christians. What do we mean by that? Simply that, that we're a spirit-filled people, a people who know and believe that God's spirit, as well as being everywhere, omnipresent, is also now resident in our lives. Now, what do we mean by the Holy Spirit? Obviously, we believe in the Trinity, God in three persons. We believe that God is very spirit. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking of a manufactured force or it, but a person. God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who comes to live in the life that surrenders itself to him. It's not the spirit of an angel, a spirit invented for us, lesser than God himself. It's God's very own spirit. It's when we begin to get a revelation of this, things that held us let go. As long as the Holy Spirit is some other spirit, then there's no authority and power in our lives. But the moment we consider that the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in you. That's when everything begins to change, if we dare to believe it. Now, the Holy Spirit is very God, wasn't manufactured when Jesus rose from the dead, was ever present from the beginning of time as God, with God, and working um, in the formation of creation right the way through to our present now. So he's very God, always existing and at work. Now, where do we first see the Holy Spirit? In the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and verse 2. We don't meet the Holy Spirit at the resurrection when he rose Jesus from the dead. We meet him in Genesis. And when you read in Genesis 1, verse 2, it says that that God in the beginning looked over great void and said, let there be. And it introduces us and says the Holy Spirit was hovering over void. So God's own spirit was hovering over void. And when God the Father spoke, the word God the Son was released and the spirit, God the Holy Spirit, brought what was spoken into actuality. So we see the Holy Spirit very present in creation with God as God. And then also throughout the Old Testament, this could take weeks, but we're going to skim through. Throughout the Old Testament, he was present in the temple and in the tabernacle. Again, he wasn't locked in there. There's no place that God can't go. Otherwise, there would be a rule and a reign above his own. God is present everywhere. We know that as the omnipresence of God. But he was also present in the tabernacle and the temple by his spirit, so that man on earth could relate to God on earth 
in person in a physical place. But the person that was in the Holy of Holies was God's Spirit. And then we read through moments where the Holy Spirit obviously came upon people. You read about Samson. He would be a good case study, wouldn't he? But this guy just grabs the jaw of a dead ox and slays thousands. That doesn't work unless God is with you. God is on you. When you read in the Old Testament, you see these continued glimpses of normal, everyday people like you and me doing supernatural things. That was God's spirit present, not in them, but on them for his purposes. And then you go through the Old Testament, you begin to approach the Gospels, and you see the Holy of Holies, and that was the tabernacle and, uh, in Israel, where again there was an Ark of the Covenant. He wasn't locked in the box. He sat and, and, and was up by the mercy seat of the two seraphim. We know all that stuff, don't we? And uh, you would come into the holy place, but not into the Holy of Holies unless you were a designated priest that had gone through a whole series of cleansing and sanctification to have a moment to appear before the king on the behalf of the people. The one, the other side of the curtain was the Holy Spirit. And in that moment when Jesus on the cross says, it's finished, and it says the veil in the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. That wasn't people breaking in, that was the Holy Spirit saying, everything that Jesus needed to do to purify people so that I could now live in them has been completed. I ain't staying behind this curtain anymore. And when you read in the book of Acts, it said after that moment, people began to see people they'd known and heard about walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Why? The life of God, the Holy Spirit, was no longer in the temple made by man, but he was walking the streets of Jerusalem. And everywhere he went, dead things began to live, because he's the spirit of life. <clears throat> now, the veil in the temple was torn because of the atonement of Jesus. We need to understand that because if Jesus had not atoned our sins or paid for our sins, God would not be able to live in us. Why? He is a holy God. We were an unholy people. Adam had sentenced us to separation because of sin. So a holy God, a righteous God, couldn't live in an unholy and an unrighteous people. And that's the purpose of the curtain in the temple. But for that curtain to be rent in twain, as the Old Testament, the King James says, rent in twain, torn in two, it meant that what Jesus did on the cross took those who were unholy and made them holy. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, do you believe the Holy Spirit lives in you? Yes. Then a Holy Spirit can't live in an unholy temple. The blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us from every sin that separated us so that God could no longer just be with us but reside in us. Okay? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, the plan of God... <coughs> sorry, well-used voice recently. The plan of God was always about his spirit coming to live in the redeemed lives of his people. That was always God's plan, to dwell in man, not in buildings. Like we said, the problem was he couldn't dwell in the building of our life. 
because the building of our life was stained with sin. So he dwelt in buildings made by men, temples and tabernacles, brick and cloth. But the moment Jesus Christ said it's finished and made full payment for the sin of the world, the Holy Spirit said, I'm not living in brick and mortar anymore. I'm coming into the place I always intended, which is to dwell in life's. Now, it was an eternal plan, not a last moment one. It's actually something that the prophets foretold. You know, often when you talk to people that wouldn't refer to themselves as Pentecostal, they almost make the coming of the Holy Spirit a last-minute plan that God had when Jesus died on a cross. No, it was always God's plan. There was an old covenant moment where God had to dwell in buildings because of sin, but his full plan was to come into the lives of people in a new covenant relationship. How do we know that? Well, number one, the prophets foretold it. Too many verses to put on screen, but if you want to make notes, you can. Joel 2, 28. Joel, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, says that there's a day coming where God will pour out his spirit, not a spirit, his spirit upon all flesh. Men, women, no segregation, all people, young and old. But also Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26, again, a prophet in the Old Testament under an old covenant, said a day is coming where God will take out of us a heart of stone and put a new heart in us. But the very next statement Ezekiel says, he says, and a new spirit he will put in us. So this was something foretold by the prophets. God's not making it up as he goes along. It was the promise of the Father. In Luke 24, verse 49, it says, this is Jesus speaking, I'm going to send to you what my Father promised, but stay in the city until you've been endured or clothed with power from on high. So Jesus said, the Holy Spirit coming is what my Father has promised. But then also Jesus very clearly taught himself about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He didn't hide anything. He was very open. Let me grab a couple of verses. John 14, verse 17. This is Jesus speaking in the moments before he goes towards the cross. He says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or helper to help you, and he will be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. Why did he say you know him? Because it was his spirit. Jesus says, the world doesn't know him. But you know him. Why would Jesus say to them, you know him, if they'd never had an introduction to him? Because the same spirit that was in Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ, is the one that would come from the Father after the ascension of Christ to dwell with God's people. Then he says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, helpless, weak. I will come to you. Now, Jesus didn't come to us. Right now, he's seated at the right-hand side of the Father. So what did he mean? Not long, and I will come to you. Well, it's his spirit that comes from heaven into our lives. The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in us. Then in John 16, there's so many examples. I'm just grabbing a two. Jesus teaching again. says, but very, very, truly, truly, I tell you, it's good for you that I'm going away. 
unless I go away, the advocate, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I will send him to you. I love that. Other places Jesus taught very clearly. He says, and when he comes, I love this, he will be with you and he will be in you. It's really important, that statement, because otherwise we're no different to moments like Samson knew, where the spirit was with him. But Jesus never said that. He said, when he comes, he will dwell with you and be in you. So there's a timeline here that we need to understand, a timeline that God set into motion, that after the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's own Spirit, as promised by the Father, foretold by the prophets, and taught by Jesus, was given and poured out on the earth. Now we read about that, and I'm going to leave this moment to Pastor Micah in our final week. Acts 2, verses 2 to 5, it says, And they were gathered in an upper room. Remember the timeline? Jesus had died for the sin of the world. He'd made the unholy holy. He'd been buried so that our old man could be buried and no longer disturb us. He'd been raised from the dead. Then he spent 50 days on the earth. After 50 days, he ascended to be seated next to the Father. At that moment, the Father then released the promised Holy Spirit on the earth. That's the moment we term Pentecost. It's when the Spirit of God took on his moment of ministry on the earth that would last until the return of Christ for his church. Now, it was always a new covenant plan, but sometimes Christians continue to live in an old covenant way of living. Oh God, you're out there somewhere. Help me if you can. Hello, are you there? Instead of a new covenant way of living, You promised that you would never leave me. You now live and dwell within me. And that makes all the difference. Now, our lives have become his temple. Now, this isn't one instance of mention in Scripture. It's continue. And there's a moment, you know, where Paul turns up, 1 Corinthians 3.16. Paul turns up. And he looks at the Corinthian church, a people who were born again. They've placed faith in Jesus Yet their life is completely outrageously wrong. And instead of judging them for what they were doing, he reminds them of what they've not yet thought of. He said, do you not know that your lives are now the temple and the dwelling place of God's own spirit? They didn't know because they were acting like they did before they'd received Christ. He said, do you not know? You can't keep living like this. You can't keep acting like this. You can't try and keep on trying to blend a holy God in an unholy world. You can't keep living two lives, one on Sunday and one on Wednesday. You've got to understand the thing that changes duplicity of living is when you understand that when you leave church, you don't leave God here. That he now dwells in us. He doesn't condemn us, but boy, does he convict us. 
when we're walking in a way contrary to what God would have for us. He's not a spirit of condemnation, but he is a spirit of conviction. So we're his temples, isn't that wonderful? That we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between somebody living in you and somebody residing in you. I heard this, we were away this week, a number of the leaders at the Assembly of God annual conference. And I heard this statement from one of the preachers. I thought, that's really good. I'm stealing that for Sunday. And he said, you can have somebody live in you, but you can lock them in in a room at the top of the stairs. But when somebody resides in you, they're allowed to walk into any room they want because the place is now theirs as much as it's yours. And sadly, many Christians just let the Holy Spirit be locked in the basement of their life. He's not missing out. You are. And we've got to move from the Holy Spirit living in us to the Holy Spirit now residing, having open access, access all areas, go wherever you want. To me, that's the Spirit-filled life. Now, there was a fourfold plan There's probably a few more, but these are the four things I see in the heart of God for the coming of the Holy Spirit. That we would be born again of the Spirit, that's salvation, John 3 verses 5 to 6. No one can enter the kingdom unless they're born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, Spirit gives birth to Spirit. That a person's naturally born and naturally present, but to be a part of God's kingdom, you've got to be spiritually born or born again, and that's a birth of the spirit, not of the flesh. Everybody with me? Number two, we're to be sealed with the spirit. So we're born again of the spirit, but also we're to be sealed with the spirit, and we are. The moment you believe in Jesus, Ephesians 1 verse 13 speaks of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now that's like a royal mark. The moment that you say, yes, Jesus, I honestly bring my life to you. I call you Lord and Savior. God seals you with a royal mark that says, this person is mine and I'm coming back to get them one day. But also the Bible in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, speaks of the regeneration of the Spirit. But it's the Holy Spirit that takes us from A to B, amen? We can't change ourselves. Behavior modification isn't good enough and it doesn't last long enough. It's the Holy Spirit who saves us, causes us to be born anew, seals us till the day of redemption, and also regenerates us from being an old creation to being a new one. Now, I know each of these could preach in their own right, but... We're just going for an overview the next four weeks. But then also Ephesians 5.18 says that we're to be filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Now all of the others are one-time things. To be born again. To be sealed. To be regenerated. But to be filled is a one-time experience, but a continued one also. That's why it says in Ephesians, hey, don't, get, don't be drunk and overwhelmed by things that the world use anymore. That's not who you are. You now belong to God. But then it says, don't settle for second best. Rather, be being filled with the Holy Spirit who's present within you, 
let him continually be being released into every part of who you are. So God's spirit is now in us, not just with us. And we understand the three teachings on the presence of God, that there's the omnipresence of God. That means that God is equally powerful in every place at any given time. And there's nothing in creation, in earth or in heaven, where he doesn't have authority and reign. Otherwise, he would be subject to something bigger than himself. But we also believe in (coughs) the manifest presence of God or the made known presence of God. And those are those wonderful meetings, uh, those moments in meetings that we have where we're worshipping. And suddenly you hear somebody go, God's here. Um, what, was he in the corridor? Did he just come in? Did he like our song that much where he said, I'm not staying in the corridor, let me in? Of course he doesn't. But what we're saying is the presence of God that was always present was just made known to us by the Spirit. But we feel his presence. But then there's a third, and to me, this is the most important. There's the indwelling presence of God. Where God no longer remains external to us, but comes to live in us and desires to rule and reign within and through us. That's the spirit-filled life. Now, God saved us to come and live in us so that our lives could change. Sometimes people give God the ownership of the car, but they stay in the driving seat. And they wonder why they keep crashing. Well, I'm a Christian now. I shouldn't be crashing. You're still in the driving seat. Get out. Get in the passenger chair and watch how things change. See, people want to be owned by God or belong to God. But sometimes they're a little bit slower giving God the full control of the car that he bought with his blood. You know, whenever you battle things in your life, let me tell you, because I took this journey myself, you can make it easy on yourself. Just come to the conclusion now, God's right, you're wrong, submit. You'll save yourself a lot of pain, a lot of time, a lot of headaches. Just do it, just submit your life. You have got nothing right where God could be wrong. You can't, otherwise you'd be God and he would be worshipping you. Took me 30 years to realise God is always right and if there's a problem, I am always wrong. Ah, some of you didn't like that one. Now, God wants us to experience lives that are filled with his spirit, not just where his spirit is present. Now, what does it mean to be filled versus being sealed? It, It means that your life through faith in Jesus Christ can be sealed by the spirit until the day of redemption, or you can acknowledge his presence, tell him he's got access to every area, And your life can be internally flooded and filled with his power, his life, his joy, his peace, and everything that is him, which is also the nature of God. But that's your choice. It's amazing I meet Christians sometimes. I bumped into a couple of them last week. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Christianity's boring. And I sit there, I'm like, what is wrong with you? Oh, being a Christian's boring. I ain't going to church anymore. Christianity's boring. Now stop. You're boring. You're a boring Christian. It's not God. Go tell Paul and Silas that God is boring and walking with Jesus is boring. Go talk to someone in the Bible. They will disagree. We set for being bored again instead of being born again. 
Jesus never said you must be bored again. He said, you've got to be born again of the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit come and flood your life. That's why we believe in the sealing of the Spirit, but also in moments that can happen where a person is filled with the Spirit. It can happen at the same moment. It can happen a few weeks later for some a few years later. But the intention of God isn't that you are sealed as His, but He fills every part, every good bit, every bad bit, every broken bit bit, every confused bit, that you open up, you want a baptism of the Holy Ghost, then just open up every door of your life and say, Holy Ghost, you're no longer my prisoner, go wherever you want, take whatever you want, change whatever you want, you'll never be bored again, we want to be spirit filled, not people that have a tingle couple of goosebumps on Sunday look at each other oh he's here no he's here I'm as powerful in Sainsbury's I can cast out devils in Tesco's as much as I can in a building gathered with the saints because we don't check him into a locker and see him next week unless that's what you do He wants to be in your prayer time. He wants to be in your worship. He wants to be the power of deliverance, joy, freedom, and every other good thing about God and who he is. Not just with you, but in you. It's God's perfect will is that we would be filled with his spirit. It's beautiful when life's sealed, but it's far much more fun when life's sealed and filled. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. But he doesn't want to be dormant. He doesn't want to be inactive. He wants us to throw open every door. He wants to lead us. Isn't that cool? But God Almighty, the Spirit of the living God, now in you, wants to lead your life. But you still have a choice to keep being led by your soul. But really, the soul takes you nowhere you really want to go. But also, the Spirit of God wants us to realize his presence so that we can experience his empowerment. Paul's going to rip it up, Paul, Sean. It's going to rip it up, Paul, Sean. Sean, Paul, same person. Sean, Paul, as he's known. It's going to rip it up when he speaks on the empowerment of the Spirit in a few weeks. But I want to just fuel an appetite in you. The Holy Spirit's not a theory. (laughs) He really was poured out. There really was a day of Pentecost. And there's nowhere in the Bible that speaks of him being recalled. There really is a Holy Spirit that comes to live in our broken lives. And he comes to lead us in new directions empower us with strength that's not our own so that we can say yeah not by might not by power my ability but by his spirit but it all happens at the receiving of a gift there's two gifts that the bible speaks of salvation's a gift and then the bible speaks of receiving the gift of the holy spirit and again i believe at moment we can paint it many different ways But it's the moment where we surrender 
and say, Holy Spirit, don't just live here. Reside. Reside. So we're going to be uh, believing God this month just to become more Pentecostal than we've ever been. To be more spirit-filled than we've ever been. And to see the power of God just not working outside of us, but within us. Ever so quickly, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me today? Let's all pray it together, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to the cross to pay for my sins. Thank you that when he rose and ascended from the dead, you sent your spirit to seal me, but also to fill me. I receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I welcome the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Just my every eyes closed, every head's bowed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, come on, you've got nothing to lose, you've got everything to gain. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer for the first time, or you're praying it again, and you say, yeah, that's me, Andy, that's me today. I'm going to ask you to do one thing for me. As I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand boldly and bravely and say, yeah, my new journey starts today. One, two, three. Is there anyone today? God bless you. I see that hand. That's fantastic. God bless you. I see that hand. Thank you so much. Is there a third person? You say, oh, I need God and I need God inside of me. Anyone else, a third person, you say, I need Jesus too. How about my left, your right? Anybody over here just needs to say, Jesus, I give my life to you today. How about in the center, anyone else? And you say, I just need to give my life to Jesus. I'm tired of driving this car. I need another driver. Anyone else to the right? Anyone else today that will join these two amazing people? Father, I pray today that each of these people would be sealed with your spirit but also filled with your spirit that their life is never the same again amen just look at me a moment yeah, let's give God a big round of applause <clears throat> I also want to close today by doing something where I can't remember really the last time I did it but I was again challenged this week concerning that the Bible, it's not just a book of words, it's instructions and things we should do. And I, I want to I speak the blessing over you today. I think that's a perfect way for us to say, you know, when we leave, to just leave with the right sound in our head. And I love it. I was reading this morning in, in I'm not going to sing the blessing, you're going to be all right. Anybody remember? Imagine like the next 20 minutes of me going, the Lord bless you. Some of you would like it, some wouldn't. But it comes from this moment, Aaron's benediction, when it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron, he was a priest, and to his son, saying, This way you will bless the people of God, the sons of Israel, and you will say to them. And I just really felt challenged that it's my role as a New Testament pastor or priest to speak these words over your life and over this week you're about to step into. The Lord bless you and keep you 
the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you great peace. God bless you.